Praise the Lord. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to uh, two openings of Scripture. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and then also First Corinthians chapter 2. We want to pick up with some things that um, um, that we've been talking about for the last several weeks. Uh, the series that we've entitled The Human Spirit. And um, we want to talk a little bit further, go a little bit further into some things that we just started getting into the edge of last uh, last Wednesday night. We're using as a text scripture, First Thessalonians chapter five and verse twenty three, just as a beginning point. Paul said uh, in verse twenty three, First Thessalonians five twenty three, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. Please notice that word is W H O L L Y. It's talking about the entirety of man or the completeness of man. Now he's going to describe the completeness or the entirety of man's makeup, the way man was made by God. And I pray God, your whole spirit and soul. And body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So verse 23 gives us uh, a summary or an explanation or a definition of the makeup of man. He is a spirit being. God said, let us make man in our own image. Jesus said in John chapter 4, verse 24, God is a spirit. And he that they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So if God is a spirit and we're made in the image of God, we have to, by necessity, be made spirit beings. And that's what separates mankind from everything else that God's ever created. Animals have personalities, they have emotions, they have loyalty and, and things like that, but that's all a part of their soul, not their spirit. The spirit is the eternal part of man. After God had made all the animals, then he said, let's make man in our own image. So that indicates that everything that had been made prior to that point in time was not in the image of God, but man is. So he's made a spirit being. He has a soul. Now, we've identified the soul from several different scriptures. We may go through some of those again uh, at a later date as well, just to solidify it. But we've identified the soul from the scriptures as the mind, the will, and the emotions. So man has a soul. You are not a mind. You are a spirit and you have a mind. You're not just your emotions. You have emotions. You are a spirit being and you have emotions. But those are parts of your soul. The soul is the mind, the will, and the emotions. And he lives in a body. This spirit man that has a soul lives in a body. Now, the body is, uh, I heard Brother Hagin describe it this way a long time ago. And I, I, I think it's, I don't know if he coined it. I don't know if he came up with it or if he took it from somebody else. But I think it's a real good illustration. And that is, we couldn't go out into outer space unless we had a space suit. Now, putting the space suit on doesn't change who we are. It just gives us a way to, to, uh, to operate and to survive in that that uh, uh, outer space condition where there is no atmosphere as we know. So that space suit is what allows us to survive and to operate in that outer space. Is there a better way to say it? Outer space condition, whatever. You know what I'm trying to say. I'd start to say atmosphere, but there's really not an atmosphere. So how do you describe it? That lack of atmosphere. Well, your body's your earth suit. It's not who you are. It's what God has given us to negotiate and contact this physical realm. And without that earth suit, we can't stay here on the earth. Paul talked about that. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Well, why would die be in gain, being some kind of gain? If reincarnation was the way things work, like some people think, that wouldn't be gain because you might come back as a, as a cow or a flea. Came back as a cow, somebody might eat you. Come back as a flea, somebody might step on you. That wouldn't be gain. Well, death can't be some kind of soul sleep like people talk about, where you just float out in nothingness. That wouldn't be gain. Paul said, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. And this is the dilemma that he had. He said, I have a desire to depart and be with Christ. I, the man on the inside, have a desire to depart and be with Christ. 
So we know where you go, where the Christian goes when he dies. When physical death takes his body, we know where the Christian goes. He departs to be with Christ. He doesn't go to some middle ground. He doesn't go to some some paradise, some purgatory, some place for people to pray you out of. Paul said, I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But then he said, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Now, notice the way he said that. I'm quoting from, from Philippians chapter 1, around verse 20, 21, 22, 23, around there. He said, nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Notice the way he said that, to abide, to live in the flesh. See, he's going to live either way. If his flesh dies, if his body's put in the ground, he, the man on the inside, departs to be with Christ. And that's better. Folks, there is no such thing as a bad day in heaven, but your worst day in heaven is better than your best day on earth. But he said to abide in the flesh. He's the same person either way. Paul talked about the same thing in his own experience when he was referring to being caught up into heaven. He said in writing to the Corinthians, he said, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, more than 14 years ago when this happened from the time that he was writing, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. Isn't that strange that when Paul was talking about his own experience of leaving his body, he couldn't tell whether he was in it or not. Everything was the same to him. He didn't change. He couldn't tell if he was in his body or out of his body because he was the same person. Nothing changed for him. He still was a spirit being. He still had a soul. He wasn't in contact with the physical realm when he was caught up into the third heaven. So it didn't matter as far as the body was concerned. He didn't know if he took his body with him or not. Isn't that interesting? See, part of the reason that people fail to grasp the realities of being a spirit being is because we become so physical conscious. We're so body conscious, we're so conscious of the physical world around us that spiritual things become indistinct. And that's going to be the way that it is for everyone unless you feed on the only thing that fits your spirit, which is the Word of God. The more you feed on the Word of God, the more spiritually conscious you become. The more you allow that Word of God, Jesus said in John six sixty three, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and life. Those spirit words feed your spirit man, they fit or develop your spirit man so that your spirit man dominates your outward man, your flesh. So man is a spirit. He has a soul and he lives in a body. Turn back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 now. We'll start reading in verse 8 again. We've read these verses of Scripture several times and I've never really been able to get to what I wanted to out of them. We've kind of gotten around the edges of some things, but hopefully, Lord willing, we'll get there tonight. First Corinthians chapter two, beginning in verse eight. Well, verse nine. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard. Now he's talking about physical eyes and physical ears. I has not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. Now, please notice that it says you don't know in and of yourself or by yourself. You can't know the things that God's prepared for you. Now, is he just talking about heaven? Or is he talking about your, his plan for your life, too? Well, he doesn't qualify it. He just says you can't know in and of yourself, by yourself, you can't know God's plan, the things that he's prepared for you, the things that he's destined you for. You can't know that on your own. You're going to have to have some help from him to find that out. Now, you know what's interesting to me? And here, here's where so many people make a mistake, and I understand it. Uh, at one time, I think I was 
well, I didn't go very far into it, but maybe I'll lean this way as well. So many times people want somebody to tell them what God has for them. Because that'll save you a lot of time of praying, maybe fasting, maybe searching the Scriptures. I mean, if somebody can just tell you what God wants you to do, man, that's an instant fix. The problem is nobody knows what God wants you to do more than God. And God's not going to tell somebody else before he tells you. And that's where people get off track. People listen to prophecies and, 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 and bless people's hearts. Spiritual children get lifted up in pride by thinking that they've got a word from God for everybody. You better be careful about that. God will hold you responsible for what you tell people. But notice that you're going to have to have help. Now, where are we supposed to get the help? Are we supposed to get the help from prophets? Are we supposed to get the help from other ministers or somebody that's got a gift of prophecy or some other thing? Where are we going to get the help? I has not seen, neither has ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man. The heart of man is talking about the spirit of man. Your spirit doesn't know in and of itself the things which God has prepared for them that love him. But God has revealed them unto us by his spirit. In other words, the spirit of God is the only one that knows what the things God has prepared for you. Well, what does that mean? For me, it means I need to get acquainted with the spirit of God. If he's the one that knows, I need to find out from the one that knows. Now, no matter whether mama thinks she knows or not, or anybody else thinks they know or not, the only way I'm going to find out for sure is to find out from the Holy Ghost. Get acquainted with him. But God has revealed them to us by his spirit for, here's the reason why, for the spirit searches all things. Now, folks, there is no different word spirit when it's talking about the Holy Spirit from when it's talking about the human spirit. And the only way you can tell, the, the translators did their best to identify whether it means Holy Spirit or, or just spirit in general, whether they understood about the human spirit or not, we don't know. But the, the, they tried to identify it by capitalizing spirit when it's talking about the Holy Spirit. They were right on the first one in this verse. God has revealed them to us by His Spirit. His Spirit would have to be the Holy Spirit. But then when He says, for the Spirit searches all things, Yea, even the deep things of God. Is he talking about the Holy Spirit? Or is he talking about the human spirit? Folks, I gotta be honest with you. I can argue it either way. I could convince you. Tell me which way you want me to go, and I can convince you that that's the way that it is. Now, the fact that that is the case, that I can prove scripturally that it's, that it's, could be either one of those, tells me it's both. I think personally, my personal opinion, I think he's talking about the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit here. But keep in mind that there's no definite, there's no absolute, there's no slam dunk. This is the Holy Spirit and only the Holy Spirit. It can't be your human spirit. And I'll prove that to you in just a minute. But God has revealed them to us, the things that he's prepared for you. God has revealed those things to us by his spirit, the Holy Spirit, for the spirit searches all things, yea, even the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save or except the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Now, that goes back to the first part of verse 10. God has revealed them to us by his spirit. He's the one that knows. Now, we've received, verse 12, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God. That's the Holy Spirit. That we might know the things which are freely given to us of God. In other words, God gave you the Holy Spirit because he doesn't want you to stay in the dark. He wants you to know what he's prepared for you, what his plan is for your life. 
That means he wants to direct you. That means he wants to guide you. That means he wants to lead you into victory in life. Can you see that? That's one of the main purposes of the Holy Ghost is to lead you into victory. Holy Ghost will lead you out of trouble. He'll lead you into victory. He'll help you to avoid trouble altogether in many cases. Not in every case. And when trouble comes, when we find ourselves in tests, trials, and afflictions, he'll show you the way out. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know, not think so, not hope so, but know the things which are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak. Paul's saying, then that's what I'm trying to reveal to you, because that's what the Holy Ghost has given me to say. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. Spiritual things with spiritual. In other words, he's saying comparing spiritual truths, spiritual words, spiritual ideas, spiritual concepts with spiritual truths. But the natural man, verse 14, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned, spiritually understood. Now, how are we going to find out from the Holy Spirit what things God has prepared for them that love us, that that love him, those of us that love him? How are we going to know the things that God sent the Holy Spirit to us to reveal to us? How are we going to know? He said you're only going to know them or understand them through your spirit. They are spiritually discerned. The word discern means to understand. They are spiritually understood. They're not mentally understood. They're not understood through your emotions. They're not understood through your flesh. They're not understood through your reasoning. They're understood through your spirit. Well, if that's the case, is there anything more important in your life than spiritual development? Or should there be? If spiritual development, spiritual understanding, growing in spiritual understanding is the way for you to know God's plan for you, all the things that he's freely given you, Through Jesus, if the spiritual understanding, which comes from developing or growing or maturing in spirit, whichever term you like best, is the key to understanding and taking hold of those things God has prepared for you, then what could possibly be more important than spiritual development? Well, then, that must be why we hear more in church circles about spiritual development than any other thing. Right? Where do we hear about spiritual development anywhere? Who talks about these things? Who teaches these things? Yet if we're to believe what Paul said to be true, that this is what the Holy Ghost gave him to preach, and he was one of the ones that laid the foundation for the whole of the church and had greater revelation from the Holy Ghost about what belongs to us than any other writer we have record of, shouldn't we follow his example and teach these things too? Can you see the failure of the church world? The church has miserably failed the people of God. Because we talk about everything else except spiritual development. Yet spiritual development is the key to understand that you are a spirit, that you have a soul and you live in a body, and to be able to distinguish between spirit and soul so that you know the things of God is of utmost importance. And notice you're only going to find the, find out what God has prepared for you through the understanding of your spirit. In other words, the revelation of the Holy Spirit in your spirit. 
not to your mind, not to your body. Now, if that's the case, we should never look for circumstances to tell us the will of God. We should never look for circumstances of any kind whatsoever, positive or negative, to ever direct us as to this is what God has planned for me. You don't hear too much about it in church circles nowadays, but back some years ago, everybody talked about putting out fleeces. Now people just do it and they don't name it. But it goes back to the Old Testament story of Gideon. You remember the story of Gideon? Gideon's out there trying to hide, get enough food to eat and threshing wheat in a little bitty place. And, and the angel of the Lord appears to him and said, Gideon, you're a mighty man of valor. And Gideon starts arguing with him. He said, no, I'm not. If I was, I wouldn't be this. If I wouldn't, if I was, I wouldn't be that. And so on and so forth. Finally, the Holy Spirit or the, the, the angel convinces him that God has a plan for him and God wants to use him to deliver his people from bondage. And so Gideon says, well, okay, I need proof for this. Now, nobody in the Old Testament had the Holy Spirit on the inside of him. There's no way he could spiritually discern anything because he's spiritually dead. He's separated from God because of Adam and Eve's sin in the Garden of Eden. So Gideon says, all right, here's how I'll know. I'm going to put out a fleece, which is kind of a wool cloak, an animal skin. I'm going to put out this fleece. And tomorrow, if the fleece is wet, how did it start? He went both ways, did it twice. He said, tomorrow, if the ground is wet from dew, but the fleece is dry, then I'll know that that's what you're, that what you're telling me is true. Woke up the next morning, the ground was wet, and the fleece was dry. But Gideon didn't know anything from that because he said, okay, well, I can't really be sure about that because maybe that would have just happened anyway. So now, if this is really what you want me to do, tomorrow I want the fleece to be wet and the ground to be dry. And it was that way the next morning. Well, he took, because he couldn't have the Spirit of God on the inside of him, he took that to as confirmation of the will of God. Well, so many people in the church world use that same circumstance, the same idea of circumstances showing them what God's will is. Well, folks, circumstances occur in the realm where Satan is the God of this world. So if you're looking for circumstances, you're putting your future... You're putting your actions, you're putting your guidance in the hands of, uh, at least to some degree, maybe to varying degrees, depending on what circumstances you're looking for, but you're putting your guidance in the hands of the devil because he's the God of this world. He's the God of circumstance. And I've seen so many people that said, okay, now, if, Lord, if this is the, one, the, the way you want me to go, if this is what you want me to do, then open this door, whatever that door might be. It might be somebody talking to him. It might be somebody... Calling them out of the blue, it might be, uh, you know, the boss saying something. It could be any number of things that could happen naturally without any influence of God whatsoever. And those things happen and they take it for the direction of God and make a mess of their lives. Get completely off track. Notice the things that the Spirit of God reveals. He reveals to your spirit. It's talking about the revelation of the Holy Ghost concerning God's plan for your life. That happens inside. In the real you, in your spirit, these things are spiritually discerned or spiritually understood. And they're not going to be understood unless you discern them or understand them spiritually. Now turn back with me to Proverbs chapter 20. Proverbs chapter 20. Notice verse 27. It says the spirit of man. Everybody say spirit of man. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. Now, in the day of that, uh, that this was that uh, passage was written, they didn't have electrical lights. 
And so the only way they could light their path in the darkness would be with a candle or a little oil lamp. That's what candle means is a little lamp. It's not candle, you know, wax candle like we're accustomed to. It's a little oil lamp. And so that's the only light they would have in the midst of darkness. So where it says the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, it's talking about something that God will use to light your way. It's talking about the means that God uses to show you the path in the dark. Now we have electricity everywhere we go, and so it's kind of hard for us to relate to that uh, in the, the way that it's written. Maybe a better uh, translation for us would be flashlight. Because if you get out in the woods somewhere, you don't want to walk and stumble around. You might fall over something and hurt yourself. You might run into a tree. You might do something or other. Or when the lights go out in your house, the power outage takes place. What do you do? You run for a flashlight. And that flashlight shows you in the middle of the darkness what's the clear path for you to walk. That's what the Bible is telling us. That's the picture that the Bible is painting for us. The spirit of man, not the mind of man, not the emotions of man, not the body, the feelings of the body. It says the spirit of man is the candle, the flashlight of the Lord. God will enlighten you through your spirit. He will guide you through your spirit. He'll show you the safe way to go by your spirit. Not through your soul, not through your body. If you're waiting for your reasoning to come up with the best way to go, you're missing out on the plan of God. If you're looking for your body or circumstances to tell you the way to go, you're missing out on the plan of God. Because the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. Now, notice what the spirit of man does. How is it that God's going to lead us through our spirits? Searching all the inward parts of the belly. Searching all the inward parts of the belly. Notice what he says that your spirit is designed to do. Your spirit is designed to search you from the inside. The inward parts of the belly. Another translation says the innermost being. That's what Jesus was talking about when he was talking about the Holy Ghost being poured out. He said, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And out of his river shall, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Another translation says out of his innermost being. The innermost being is talking about the spirit. So it's saying the spirit of man is the candle or the flashlight of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the spirit. He's saying your spirit searches things from the inside. Why? Because that's where the Holy Ghost dwells. And the Holy Ghost is the one that knows everything. He knows what God's plan is for you. He knows what God's direction is for you. So the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us that are believers. This is talking about the people of God. All they had was the Holy Spirit on the outside, trying to lead them through external circumstances. We, however have the Holy Spirit inside. But even in their condition, they knew that God wanted to lead us from the inside. Now, since your spirit searches all of the things on the inside of you, let me remind you again of 1 Corinthians chapter 2 in verse 10. But God has revealed them unto us, the things that God has prepared for them that love Him. But God has revealed them unto us by His Spirit, for the Spirit searches All things, yea, the deep things of God. What spirit is that talking about? Is it talking about the Holy Spirit? The translators thought so. Is it the Holy Spirit that searches out the deep things of God? Or is it your spirit that searches out the deep things of God? Both. Your spirit in contact with the Holy Spirit can find out the deep things of God concerning His plan for your life. How's that going to happen? Turn with me over to John chapter 16. Let me remind you of something Jesus said when he was talking about the Holy Ghost coming. We know that it's a joint effort. If you're going to find the will of God for your life, the plan of God, the things God's prepared for you, it's going to be a joint effort between your spirit and the Holy Spirit. We can all agree on that, right? 
we've seen enough scripture. We could take a lot more time and, and go into further scripture to, to nail it down. But I'm, I'm for the sake of time, I'm trying to move on to something else. But I want to make sure that that's well established. Is everybody on the same page on that? We've seen enough scripture to prove that, right? Okay, notice what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16, verse 13. He said, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, has come. Notice he called him the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will guide you into all truth. He will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, he shall speak. And he will show you things to come. So if the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you, and you know that the Holy Spirit leads you and guides you and directs you by your spirit, then you're going to be able to find from your spirit or from within your spirit guidance into the truth. One translation says guidance into all reality. He'll guide you into all reality, the reality of who you are in Christ and what belongs to you. In other words, it's talking about things God's prepared for you and freely given to you. Those are the things that the Holy Spirit reveals to you. He'll guide you into all truth and he'll show you things to come. Now, let me let me talk to you about this for, for a few minutes this evening before we quit. And I've, I've taken a lot longer to set this up than I really intended to. But that's kind of how I do. Um, I want to talk to you about how the spirit of God searches things. Because people read these things and and it is real easy to get a spooky spiritual attitude toward this stuff. Oh, the Holy Spirit searches all things. Well, what's he doing? Is he going around with a magnifying glass? What does that mean? So many people don't know. And, and, and I think I take for granted sometimes that people know what it's talking about without going into detail. But the Holy Spirit really dealt with me a couple of weeks ago about talking about this. And I just haven't been able to get to it. We keep, I keep going a little off track and, and well, not really off track, but anyway, I finally got there. Let me just say it that way. I don't mean to leave the impression that I've disobeyed God for two weeks. I haven't. I've been doing what I felt like I was supposed to do. It's just that this hour is so short. For me, this is the quickest hour of the week. So what does it mean the Spirit of God searches all things? Or what does it mean that your spirit searches all things? What does that really mean? I want to use uh, Brother Hagin's example, or to use his testimony. Uh, and, and I'm, uh, well, I'll explain as much as I have to, to to get the point across. But Brother Hagin was born with a deformed heart. He was born with an incurable blood disease. There were just a bunch of things wrong with him, any number of, of things. There were three different things that were incurable and, and that the doctor said were fatal. Any one of those three things could have killed him. Well, when he got to 16 years of age, he was, became totally bedfast. Up until that point in time, he could, he could walk and never did run, but he couldn't exert himself and, 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 and that type of thing because he'd, he'd pass out and circulation problems and so forth would, uh, were rampant. But uh, at age 16, he, uh, he became bedfast. And the doctors had told him that nobody in his condition had ever lived past the age of 16 years old. So he's right on track. He, as far as the doctors are concerned, as far as medical science was concerned, he's in bed to die. But he began to search the scriptures and he began to, to, to seek out things. He tried to get some preachers to come and, and he wanted to ask him, wanted to find out, you know, when Jesus was here, he was, he healed people, uh, when he was here on the earth, does God still heal today and, and so forth. That was his hang up, which is most people's hang up where healing is concerned. He couldn't find out. He didn't know. He hadn't, uh, most everybody in his family said, no, those things have passed away. His grandfather was the only one that encouraged him in any way whatsoever. And the only thing he said to him is, uh, 
Uh, Kenneth, I believe that if a person has enough faith, they could walk on water like Peter did. Well, that didn't really help Brother Hagin specifically because he wasn't trying to walk on water. He was trying to get off the, the, the deathbed. So there was really nobody that he had to go to. And he, uh, uh, he had gotten discouraged, as you could well imagine, when uh, one preacher came by and uh, he was wanting to ask him. He didn't have much control of his tongue or, or his, uh, uh, his uh, bodily movements at that time. And, uh, and so he wasn't even able to get the question out. He was trying, he was, he was thinking and trying to say, this scripture where Jesus healed, does that still belong to us today? Will God still heal today? And the, the, um, the preacher just grabbed his hand, patted his hand and said, just be patient, my boy. In a few more days, it'll all be over. Well, brother Hagin said about that experience, he said he put the light out. He said, whereas up until that point in time, I, I didn't know I had hope. But this guy, this preacher, just put the light out. He said, it's sunshine, middle of the summer outside. But he said, in my room, it was dark. And he spent about three or four days in, in what you could well understand. I, I don't mean this in a, in a disparaging way. But, um, but he was so discouraged, he had his own little pity party. He just thought, this is it. I've just got to die. Woe is me. This is unfair. I've never been able to run and play like other kids and never really lived life. And now here I'm going to die. Well, after three or four days, a little bit of time goes by. He said to his mother, bring me back my Bible. And so he started looking in the Bible and started seeing some things, but he couldn't saw what Jesus did, but he couldn't get the answer. He couldn't get the answer to, uh, to does God still heal today? And he didn't know anybody to ask. He didn't want to ask another preacher. He figured all preachers would tell him the same thing. The one that came to him was one of the most well-known ones in town. So who else is he going to go to? But there was a point in time, and he started reading little bit by little bit. He said he could read about 15, maybe 20 minutes on a good day. He could be, read maybe 20, 20 minutes in the morning. And after that, uh, then then the whole thing kind of went dark. He kind of went into a stupor and, and just kind of lethargic the rest of the day and didn't have any uh, cognitive ability much. Wasn't very aware of the things going on around him. So he said that he had read a little bit through the Gospels. He's just been able to, being able to read a little bit a day. And then he got to one certain place where he had finished his reading and he was tired and he just laid back, well, you know, kind of leaned his head back on the bed, on the pillow, and he's just laying there. Now, now let me set this up this way. You know the condition. You know the physical condition that's going on because I've just described it. But remember the Holy Ghost, he's now saved. He wasn't saved when he first went to the deathbed, but now he's saved. And he said that every night he'd go to bed with a smile on his face saying, Lord, if I die tonight, I want to make sure I'm smiling so they knew I was happy. He said he really didn't care from one standpoint, from one perspective. I didn't care if I died or not because now I know I'm going to heaven. I had a joy of going to heaven, but there was still something nagging at me. I need to get off this bed or I want to get off this bed. Folks, the body recoils from death because death's an enemy. The worst thing that can happen is somebody to give up. And that's what the devil fights the hardest for is for people to give up. So he, he, he got back to the place. He's happy. He's ready to go if it's time to go, but he doesn't want to go unless it's his time. So he leaned back on the pillow, and here's what the Holy Ghost said on the inside of him. He didn't know the Holy Ghost was talking to him. He didn't know who it was. He didn't know the Holy Ghost would even speak. He didn't know any of those things, hadn't gotten any of those scriptures yet. But there was a voice on the inside of him that said, did you notice in Mark chapter 5 that the woman's faith made her whole? 
And he picked up on that and he said, no, I didn't notice that at all. He got his hand, kind of scooted the pages back over to Mark chapter 5, read the story again, just a few verses. Verse 34 of Mark chapter 5, Jesus said, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace and be whole of your place. He said, yeah, well, that's right. That's right. And then this voice, after a few more minutes, wasn't instantly, but after a few more minutes, this voice on the inside, who he now knows is the Holy Ghost, learned later was the Holy Ghost. This voice said on the inside of him, have you ever heard anybody say that faith's been done away with? Well, no. He's answering it. No, I've never heard anybody say faith's been done away with. And then the voice answered back and said, no, and you never will. Because if faith's done away with, no one can be saved. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's quoting Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God. If faith's been done away with, there is no one saved. There is no church. He said, well, okay, yeah, I guess that's right. And then the voice said to him, therefore... If her faith made her whole, talking about the woman with the issue of blood in Mark 5, if her faith made her whole and faith has not been done away with, your faith can make you whole. Now, notice how the Holy Ghost is guiding him into the truth. Brother Hagin didn't know anything about anything. He's read a few, ver- few chapters of the Bible in a limited way, in, in, in whatever capacity he was able to for a few minutes each day. He's been bedfast for 16 months. And during that time, he's read through Matthew and through about half of Mark. That's not much over 16 months. You get discouraged when you don't keep up with your Bible reading program. What you've got is more than Brother Hagin had, and the Holy Ghost is guiding him just like he'll guide you. Now, what I want you to see, folks, is that the Holy Ghost will guide you into the truth. But notice how the Holy Ghost made his argument. He made his argument in a, in a manner that the, the individual that he was talking to, Brother Hagin, the manner in which he could accept it and understand it and it would become real to him. In other words, he revealed to him from the Scriptures what he could see for himself. And it led him into healing, led him into the victory of what belonged to him through the sacrifice of Jesus. How did the Holy Ghost search out the deep things of God? How did Brother Hagin's spirit search out the things of the Holy Spirit within him? He fed on the word and he got quiet. Now, I had an experience very much like this. The first time I ever really came to a place where I had a prayer answered. I was 15 years old and I prayed a very, very selfish prayer. It was me winning something. Not beating out everybody else. I'd already done the work. I'd already put the time in and, and, and put in a, a, a worthy effort for it. But I asked God for something just for me. Let me win this. Be one of the, the winners of this. It was a, well, might as well tell you. It was a, an all-state team, basketball team in high school. I'd had a good year. I'd done the work. But we had two other guys on the team that were a lock for this All-State team, and nobody had ever put three guys from the same team on the All-State team in one year. So I'm behind the eight ball. Here I've done it. I, I, as far as my statistics were concerned, the year that I had was concerned, I was deserving of it, but the other guys had a little better years than I did, and so I'm going to be the odd man out. Everybody knows that. Everybody's accepted that, and it was the talk of, you know, around the school system. 
And I just knelt down by my bed one night, 15 years old, didn't know anything. Only thing I ever knew about the Bible is I knew what the book looked like, and I'd seen a promise box. Outside of that, I wasn't reading my Bible every day. I, I knew nothing about the Bible. And I knelt down by my bed and I said, Lord, I want this. I believe I deserve it. If I hadn't, if I hadn't done my part, I wouldn't be, feel right about asking you, but I'm asking you for this. And immediately the thought came to my mind, you have got to be kidding. And the statistics of the two other guys came flashing before me. I was well acquainted with them and here they come. And they were just a little bit better than mine, but still better. And the thought was, you might deserve it, but you're not going to get it this year. And I got in my bed. I accepted it. I got in my bed, and I was really kind of discouraged about it. And I laid down. And all of a sudden, I laid in my bed, and I was kind of feeling sorry for myself. You know, why does it have to happen to me? Oh, woe is me. Laid there for, I don't know, didn't have a clock that I was looking at, maybe 15 minutes. Got to the place where I wasn't feeling sorry for myself, just got kind of quiet. And all of a sudden, I heard a voice on the inside of me. If you know how to be good, if you know, if you being natural know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to, or give good things to them that ask it? It says it two different ways. One, uh, one gospel says, give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him. The other says, give good things. That was the Holy Spirit. I didn't know the Holy Spirit was on the inside of me. I didn't know that's what happened when you got saved. I thought it was about Jesus. I knew nothing about the Holy Spirit. I didn't know he talked to you. I didn't know any of that kind of stuff. The Holy Spirit said, how much more shall your heavenly father give good things to them that ask him? And I'm laying there and I heard that. And my first thought was, I didn't say anything, but my first thought was, who said that? Who said that? Well, I didn't ask ask the question. I didn't say anything. I'm just thinking, wow, this is strange. And then I got to thinking it didn't say the Holy Spirit didn't say another word to me. But I got to thinking I laid there and I considered that. How much more shall your heavenly father give good things to them that ask you? And I thought, well, is this a good thing? Well, it's sure not a bad thing. It's something that I earned. It's something that in any other year, at any other time, I would be the one that had to lock on it. If not for the, 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 you know, the thing, the statistics of the other two guys that were just a little better than mine, of course it would be a lock. I'm not asking for something that I didn't deserve. I didn't, I'm not asking for something that I didn't earn. I'm not asking for something. I didn't lazy, get lazy all year and say, now God, you know, give it to me anyway. So it can't be a bad thing. And then I thought this. I thought this, and I, I, I have no doubt that it was my spirit taking hold of what the Holy Spirit had just said to me. I said this. I said this out loud. I, I was laying back on my pillow with my hands folded behind my head, and I said, God, if I was God and you were me and you asked me for this, I'd give it to you. So I'm asking you to give it to me. And when I said that, when I just came to that, that place of accepting that, I had a peace. And as far as I was concerned, yep, okay, that's it. I talked to him. He heard me. That was it. I knew nothing about praying one time and asking for it, and that was it. 
But that was, as far as I was concerned, that was it. I knew on the inside of me, okay, that's it. I didn't know that I had it, but I knew that that was it. Next night, I laid down, or started to lay down, got, got on my knees beside my bed beforehand, started to pray the same prayer again, got halfway through it and thought, this is dumb. And I just said out loud, Father, I asked you for this last night. I believe you heard me. I'm not going to ask you for it again. Got in bed, had a peace that I'd never had before and thought to myself, man, there's something about this that's good. Still didn't have a peace. I didn't have any kind of knowing on the inside that I had it. Well, long story short, I got the the first time three guys from the same team made the All-State team. Now, looking back on it, that was a real selfish thing. If we judge selfishness by our eyes rather than God's. And I, I learned something. I learned something from that. Not that I took hold of it at that time. It was years later. Now that I can look back at it, now I can accept some things about it that I wasn't able to then. I didn't realize the Holy Ghost was teaching me how to pray. I didn't realize at the time that the Holy Ghost was showing me to pray your prayer based on the word and ask God for something one time and then thank him for it after that. Because that's what I did. Second, third night and from every night their own. Instead of asking God for it, I'd get in bed and I just had a, had an impression, an urge to praise God. I just lifted my hands. I didn't stick them up in the air, but they were already kind of leaning on the bed. So I just kind of put my hands up a little bit. That's as good as a Baptist can do. I said, thank you, Lord, for hearing me. That's all I said. I didn't thank you for the answer. Didn't know anything about that. I said, thank you, Lord, for hearing me. I didn't realize the Holy Ghost was teaching me to pray. I didn't realize that. It got away from me for another, what, 10 years, 12 years almost? Well, a little over 10. I didn't realize that. But it was the Holy Ghost guiding me into reality. And the lesson that the Holy Ghost was trying to teach me was more important than the award that I wanted to win. But the Holy Ghost will guide you. He searches out the truth. He'll guide you according to the word. The, the, the story, we've talked about this a number of times here lately. The story about Paul learning to overcome his flesh. And I, I hope you know what I'm talking about. In Romans 7 and 8, Romans chapter 7, Paul is complaining about being a slave to his flesh. He's talking about his own experience, not at the time he was writing, but his experience before he had learned how to overcome and how to walk in victory. He's talking about being a slave to his flesh. He says, now, it's not me on the inside that wants to do these wrong things. The me on the inside, the real me, my spirit, he wants to do right. I serve the law of God by the inward man or from the inward man in Romans 7.22. I delight in the law of God after the inward man, he said. He said, I want to from the inside, but I find something else working in my body. My emotions, my flesh, my earthly desires, natural desires lead me into things that my spirit resents being done. And my spirit, the man on the inside, even though he's the one that wants to serve God, seems to be at the mercy of the man on the outside, the flesh, the body. What am I going to do? Who in the world is going to deliver me from this? Well, what is Paul doing? He's showing us, giving us his testimony about how he learned to overcome. He finally comes to chapter 12, uh, chapter 8 and says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. How did he learn that? Teachers wake up one morning and say, Oh, well, well, yesterday's gone. I'm free now. I think that's the way a lot of Christians want it to work. Just wake up one day and all of a sudden things have changed. Well, how are they going to change? If you find out something, if something is revealed to you as far as God's plan and God's plan is righteousness, 
If you're going to find out something more about righteousness tomorrow than you know today, it's going to be because the Holy Ghost reveals it to you. And he's going to reveal it not to your mind, not to your understanding, not even to your body. He's going to reveal that to you from your spirit. What did Paul do in every letter that he wrote to the church? He made his case based on Old Testament scriptures. Every time Paul is trying to prove a point, he says, just like Isaiah said, just like Jeremiah said, just like it's written in the law, over and over and over again, he's quoting the Old Testament to prove his point. What does that do for us? It shows us that the Holy Ghost takes the word and opens your eyes to it to show you how it fits you now today. So Paul comes to a place where he says there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. He realizes, he comes to the understanding, the progress or the progression is made where he comes to the understanding. It's not what I do with my body. Doing something with my body is important, but that doesn't determine who I am or who I, or, or my right standing with God. My right standing with God was determined by Jesus. He found out I'm righteous no matter what happens with my flesh. And because I'm righteous, no matter what happens with my flesh, that gives me power to overcome my flesh. I don't lose standing with God because my body trips and does the wrong thing. I maintain that right standing, that righteousness with God, because Jesus washed me in his blood. And that becomes the source of his power to overcome, so that then he can say in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, present your bodies a living sacrifice because of who you are on the inside. Let the man on the inside dominate and and keep your body under, which he learned to do. And don't be confirmed to this word, world, verse 2, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, feed on the word of God to such a degree that the word opens up to you and you see what belongs to you and what God intended for you all along. What is that? That's the spirit of God searching all things. That's your spirit searching out the direction of God through the word, from the word. That's what the Holy Ghost uses. The Holy Ghost doesn't speak of himself, but what he's heard, that's what he speaks. Well, what has he heard? What is it that the Holy Ghost knows? He knows what God has inspired him, the Spirit of God, to tell us through the Old Testament and now through the apostles. If you're expecting to be led from some way other than the Word of God, you're looking in the wrong direction. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, the things I need to know aren't in the Word. Yeah, I get that. The Bible's not going to tell you whether to move to Texas or not. The Bible's not going to tell you whether to give X amount of dollars or not. The Bible's not going to tell you what to do as far as marrying this one or that one person is concerned. It's not going to give you that kind of direction, but I'll tell you what it does. When you open yourself up to the Word, you open yourself up to the spirit realm where the Spirit of God can show you from the Scripture, here's how this works for me in this case. The wisdom of God is not limited. The wisdom of God on any one scripture is not limited to what that the subject that that scripture is talking about. Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. You know what is, uh, uh, well, Hebrews 4.12, it says the word of God is quick and powerful. Another translation says full of life and power. Do you know what that means? That means because the word of God is alive. God will speak to you about, through the Scripture, He will speak to you about things that the Scripture doesn't even refer to because it's life. You'll see it over here, and then the Holy Ghost will show you how it applies over here. Now, let me close with this. Turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, what is it, chapter 14, I think. 
First Corinthians chapter 14. If the things of the Spirit of God and God's plan for you are to be revealed from revealed to us, to our spirits, by the Holy Ghost, and those things are spiritually discerned, then for people that are spirit-filled, we have such an advantage. And everybody's supposed to be. That was God's plan. He didn't send the Holy Ghost just to fill some. He sent the Holy Ghost for every Christian, every believer to receive. But notice what the work of the Holy Spirit is as well. Not only to guide us into truth, notice what another area that the Holy Spirit will, will reveal the things of God to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Notice verse 2. It says, For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue, that means speaking in other tongues, speaketh not unto men but unto God. For no man understandeth him. Howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. Notice the he's in that verse. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue, speaketh not unto men. Now let's take out the not unto men. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh unto God. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh, speaketh unto God. He, the man on the inside, he that speaks in an unknown tongue talks to God. How be it in the spirit? Notice when you're speaking to God, you're speaking in the spirit. Well, folks, if the things of God are revealed from the Holy Spirit through our spirits, how important would speaking in the spirit be? It's everything if you're talking about direction and God's plan for your life. And notice why it's everything. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men but unto God. How be it in the spirit? He's speaking unto God in the spirit. Why? Because God's a spirit. God doesn't speak in the natural. He speaks in the spirit. How be it in the spirit? He speaketh mysteries. Weymouth's translation says divine secrets. In the spirit, he speaks divine secrets. What are those divine secrets? You remember where we started over in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9? I has not seen nor ear heard the things which God has prepared for them that love him. I wonder if that would be considered a divine secret. But God has revealed them unto us by his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. Folks, anything that you can't see with your natural eye or hear with your natural ear is a divine secret. Anything of God, anyway, is a divine secret. It's saying when you speak in other tongues, you're speaking divine secrets. Now, if we're praying for other people in other tongues, that means we're speaking divine secrets concerning God's plan for them. But if you're speaking to God about yourself in other tongues, you're speaking divine secrets about you. Notice what Paul goes on to say. Verse 4, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies himself. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies himself. Now, I don't care about the prophesying in the church part. That's not relevant to what we're talking about right now. He that speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself. If you're looking for direction, what's going to build you up? Getting direction. Folks, I don't really need the Holy Spirit to reveal anything to me about water baptism when I'm facing a crisis. And that's not how he works. He guides you into all truth. He guides you into the reality of God's plan for your life. God's plan for every area of your life is victory. 
He'll guide you into victory. He'll guide you into healing. He'll guide you into prosperity. He'll guide you into peace. He'll guide you into the right job. He'll guide you into the right marriage. He'll guide you into all reality because that's what God has planned for you. How are we going to find that out? Well, two things, feeding on the word and secondly, speaking in the spirit. Notice verse 14. First Corinthians 14, verse 14. He said, for if I pray in an unknown tongue, notice how Paul says that. If I, the man on the inside, if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth. So speaking in other tongues is your spirit speaking. Speaking in other tongues is your spirit speaking. Now, folks, remember where we started with this over in first Corinthians chapter two. If we don't know. In and of ourselves, by ourselves, if we don't know the things God has prepared for us, but the Holy Ghost does, how important it is for, how important would it be for us to become acquainted with Him? Now, when you speak in other tongues, you're speaking by the utterance or the help or the association or the connection or the union with the Holy Spirit. He's the one giving you the words to say. And those words, when you speak them out, is your spirit speaking directly to God. And what you're speaking directly to God is divine secrets. Now, please recognize that we're operating on a basic assumption. I'm assuming you know that the Holy Ghost is on your side. I'm assuming that you've gone through Paul's progression. And even if you may be stumbling over your flesh, you recognize that God's still on your side and your failure in the flesh does not stop you from having right standing with him. I'm assuming that. Now, I know a lot of people haven't gotten there yet. I get that. I understand that. And I realize I remember so well the condemnation that I that I was tried to push off. But I was trying to push it off in the flesh, trying to push it off mentally. I remember the condemnation that would come to me because I was failing over and 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 over again. And you get to the point where you say, well, I'm just worthless. God has to recognize that. But the fact is, you're not worthless because of what Jesus did. And the only reason you're not worthless is because of what Jesus did. But Jesus did it. So it's something that you wind up accepting if you're going to go on in the things of God. So therefore, the Holy Ghost is on your side. He's trying to get you information. He's trying to reveal to your spirit. He's trying to open the truth of God's plan for your life to you. I I get kind of amused. I, I have to be careful about my amusement. But I get kind of amused when people say, I don't know why God won't talk to me about this. You just told me you're not feeding on the word and you're not praying in tongues. Most of, well, let me say it this way. The greatest revelations I've ever gotten from the Holy Ghost, whether about me, whether about the church, whether about the word in every area, the greatest revelations I've ever gotten from the Holy Ghost is after I have fed on the word and spent time praying in tongues so that I just got quiet. My mind just gets quiet. Now, you don't have to stop praying in tongues for your mind to get quiet. You can come to the place where your mind is not active, even while your spirit is speaking divine secrets to God. And boy, when you get to that place, man, will he show you stuff. But he can't show you as long as your mind is pulling in the wrong direction. Because it's not a soulish revelation. It's a spiritual revelation. So Paul said, for if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. Notice what he's talking about. He's talking about the contrast between your spirit speaking, not of himself. You don't speak in tongues of yourself. You speak 
the speaking is you, but the words you're saying are given to you by the Holy Spirit. Should be the easiest thing in the world for spirit-filled Christians to be able to distinguish between their spirit, the real them, and their body and their soul. Should be the easiest thing. Because if you come to the place where you say, well, I don't understand this spirit stuff. All you have to do is start speaking in tongues. And you know, your head knows it's not the words are not coming from your mind. Your body doesn't have anything to do with it. It never has anything to do with you speaking. But your mind, your soul, recognizes instantly, this is not coming from me. And that's why it begins fighting against it so hard. Because your mind is used to being in control. But your mind can't be in control if you're going to receive the things of God. If you're going to have the things of God, God's plan for your life, the things that He's prepared for you revealed to you. Your mind can't be in control of that. Just can't be in control. making any sense at all i sure know what i'm trying to say I, I have no idea if it's coming out or not for if i pray in an unknown tongue my spirit prayeth but my understanding is unfruitful two things that the bible says are spiritual the word of god and you speaking in tongues two things that the bible says is the operation of your spirit the word of god received and acted on and you speaking in tongues And that's the acquaintance, the association, and the union with the Holy Spirit, the activity with the Holy Spirit that will bring the knowledge, spiritual knowledge, of everything God's prepared for you. The spiritual understanding, the spiritual revelation of everything God has prepared for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it's true. Thank you, Holy Spirit for leading us and guiding us into all reality, the truth. Thank you for revealing to us that which God has prepared for each and every one of us. Holy Spirit, we trust in you to direct us and guide us into healing, to guide us into prosperity, to guide us into peace, to guide us into that which God has ordained for our lives. We'll do our part by feeding on the word of God, And praying in the Spirit. So we thank you in advance for the Holy Spirit. We thank you in advance. For for revealing even the deep things of God for our lives. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us.